0: this is great being with you guys I have to I have to say that I felt extremely welcomed by every single one of you and you know keeping with that table theme when I was in high school I remember being a freshman in high school and coming into a new high school uh, actually it was a new high school in a sense it was a new group of people for me because I had gone to a a Christian grammar school so for nine years K through 8 I had gone to Christian grammar school and all my friends ended up going to uh, a Christian academy for high school, but my parents, uh, unfortunately, with a professor's salary, could not afford to send me to a Christian academy, and so I ended up going to a public high school, and I knew no one. Even though I'd grown up in that town, I I kind of was with my Christian friends all the time at the Christian Grammar School. We did everything together. They were from different communities. They all came into the city of Wheaton for this Christian Grammar School. But when I first went to this public high school, what do you have to do during the lunch hour? You have to go to the cafeteria as a freshman. I couldn't go off campus. I wasn't old enough. We had to, we had to be a certain age or we had a certain pass to go off campus. And so you have to go into the cafeteria. The school cafeteria can be a very scary place because it is true, like, you know, whether it's Mean Girls or whatever, you know, high school thing you saw from John Hughes back in the 1980s, there are cliques, there are groups, there are people who sit together, who know each other, who, who want to be together, and they don't want you at the table, and so you, I'd bring my little sack lunch, and I'd go find a place to sit. I wasn't that pathetic. I actually did have friends, but and I did make friends, but, but here, I felt welcomed. People have welcomed me to the table and sat with me and haven't just ostracized me. But, you know, when you come into a new space, in a new place, people have their groups. They have, they have their table mates. They have the people they want to hang out with, they want to sit with. I, I've been there. I mean, I, I've had many church-like potlucks where I get my food and and I look around <laughs> Even as a pastor, I, I confess, I look around the room and I'm like, man, I don't want to sit at that table because that woman talks too much. Or that guy, all he'll do is complain, complain, complain. You know, these uh, we, we, we do that. And, and this has been just a real joy to be with you guys because you're a welcoming community. And yet we're going to talk tonight about how we can be more welcoming Because when God lays down a table for us, and He invites us in, number one, He invites not just the people we want to be invited in. He invites us, and He invites others. And and we all come as children of the Heavenly Father to that table. And we're going to have to sit by some people that we really don't enjoy sitting with at times. We're going to have to be together with some people who we would not choose to be together with. And when we come to the table of God, we have to come with the spirit of a child with its father, seeking to learn from its father at the table, to to know more of, of his or her father's will, and learning table manners, how to get along, how to share food, how to be with big brothers and sisters, how to be with little brothers and sisters. And I think one of the things we also have to do is we also have to learn how to take the Father's table and the food that He's placed before us, the spread that He's given us, the goodness that we taste and see, and we have to be people who invite others to come to that table. And sometimes we have to take that meal on the go and feed those people who aren't going to be at the table for one reason or another because they've not been invited to that table by someone because they're far from God right now. They've never heard the words of Psalm 34 verses 8 through 10. They have no idea there's a God who loves them, a God who is their father who wants to adopt them as his children and who invites them to his table. And so we're going to talk about what it looks like tonight to become those children, to sit at God's table and to invite others to be part of that. Now, When we we actually do come to the table, when my kids come to the table, they finally get down. Like I said last night, sometimes it takes a long time for them to get down from the upstairs to the downstairs to the table. And usually they come down and they're supposed to get their own drinks. And so they forget to get their own drinks. They can get water, they can get milk, they can get juice, whatever they get. But they usually forget to do that. And so they're like, hey, mom, dad, if one of us is up, could you get the drink for me? No, you can get up and you can get it yourself. All right. They sometimes forget what the routine is in our family. And so they come to the table, they sit down, and, and uh, we, we say a prayer before our meal. And then we, we eat and we share. So we oftentimes do what I would call kind of a weather report. Uh, we, we say, you know, how was, how was the day? Sunny? Was it, was it cloudy? Was it rainy? We do highs and lows sometimes. You know, what was your high today? What was your low today? And we kind of check in with one another. This is kind of the routine. It's what we do as a family, and oftentimes if we have the margin for it, time-wise, we will get together around that table afterwards, and my son or myself or my daughter or my wife, will, my daughters, will, will read a little devotional thought, and, and we'll, we'll reflect on that and, and talk about it ever so briefly, because the kids are ready to get out of there and, and leave the table and go somewhere else and do something else, right? You guys don't have that experience, so they just want to stay at the table and enjoy mom and dad and, and talk about Jesus and, and about the day and, and they're so open with you. No, of course not, right? But when we come to that table, there's, there's a certain way about sitting at that table for us and our family, and the same thing's true about being at God's table. We take our cues, obviously, from God the Father who has us come to sit at that table, but we also take our cue from Him and how we're to treat the other children at the table during that time we're there. We recently uh, invited into our home a young woman. Uh, She is 22. She has uh, been in the United States for six years. She moved from Ghana to uh, study and also to play soccer. And so she's been playing soccer, and she just recently graduated from the University of Maine. And she uh, came to Southern California to the actual club that we're a part of so she could play on the club's uh, women's semi-professional team for the summer. And so the club contacted us and asked us if we would host this young woman. Her name is Sharifa. And uh, and we said, sure, we'll, we'll host Sharifa. Little did we know that six years of being away from Ghana from her family uh, being on her own being kind of catered to because she was taken care of by people who were her and essentially handlers with the soccer program she was part of and other things she didn't really have a lot of kind of table grace and table manners she would come to the to the table initially and she would she would get her food and she would sit down and she would put her head down and she would take out our phone. And so the first thing we had to say, we are so glad you're here, Sharifa. We are so glad you are here at the table with us. Just one thing for you to know is that when we sit at the table, we actually engage with one another. We pay attention to one another. And, and, and I know there's some really good soccer scores on here or there's some good emails or, or Instagram stuff you want to look at, but, but let's save that for when the meal's over. Because when we sit at the table, we, we pay attention to one another. And this kind of thing distracts us. Now, I mean, maybe you are the family that, you know, sits at the table and, and in front of the TV. And I'm not going to guilt you for that. That's, you know, that's totally reasonable. Sometimes we sit in front of the TV and we watch a movie together. But that's not really sitting at the table. That's actually sitting in front of the TV and, and, and eating a, in front of the TV. But when we sit at the table, we, we want to not be distracted from being able to engage with one another, with, with the other children, so to speak, of God's table that are with us. And again, in our immediate families, it's with our, our own children, our, our spouses, or with our parents. And, and engaging with them and, and trying to hear what's going on in the rhythm of their lives and in their day. You see, the table, according to Psalm 34, when you come and taste and see that the Lord is good, you come to a place where children learn at the feet of the Father, but children also teach one another what it means to sit at the table of God. We come to this place to grow in relationship and understanding of who God is and our relationship to Him, and we also teach one another about who this God is who invites us to come and taste and see that He is good. Hear what the psalmist says, here in chapter 34, verses 11 through 18. First thing he says is, Come, O children. Now, he's a child himself, because he is a son of God. Come and listen to me, and I will teach you the fear of the Lord. When we come to God's table, we we learn the fear of the Lord. We learn what it means to be in awe of God the Father, and His goodness, His mercy, His grace. And then, after that call to come to the table and, and listen to me at that table, The psalmist goes on and says, Well, here's what I'm going to tell you. I will teach you the fear of the Lord. And here's what the fear of the Lord looks like. He says, first of all, What man is there who desires life and loves many days that he may see good? You see, because if you want to learn the fear of the Lord and you desire life and you desire to see many good days, then you're going to listen to what this fellow child at God's table has to say to you. He says this in verse 13. "Here's, Here's one thing to learn. Keep your tongue from evil. And your lips from speaking deceit. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. And then he says, The eyes of the Lord are toward the righteous and His ears toward their cry. The face of the Lord is against those who do evil. To cut off the memory of them from the earth. When the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears. And delivers them out of all their troubles. And the Lord is near To the brokenhearted and saves the crushed in spirit. When we come to God's table, we we teach one another these truths of who God is. How to fear and be in awe of the Lord. How to seek and desire many days by doing the will of the Lord. By, first of all, our own personal engagement with other people. Keeping our tongues from evil and our lips from speaking deceit. Turning away from evil and doing good and pursuing peace. But then the psalmist says, as, as one of these fellow children of God, these sons of God, that this is the truth that we need to know when we come to the table. When we come to this table of the Lord and we're, we're sitting at the table, we, God has finally gotten us there, we're wondering if He's going to give us good things, we're wondering if we're going to be able to consume what He has before us, and we're going to be able to, to survive being part of this family meal. He says, remember, this is true about God, that, that God... Has his eyes towards those who do the right thing, who hears their cries. He hears their cries. He turns his face toward those who are against evil. The Lord is near to the brokenhearted and the crushed in spirit. Now, when we come to the table, just like my kids, we come squirmy distracted we come sometimes unfocused with poor table manners we come perhaps just just famished for ourselves and we want to feed ourselves and get out of there we don't care about the person next to us and passing the potatoes or the rice or whatever it is you pass all we care about is ourselves We're not considerate of the people around us. And one of the things that we're taught to do, one of the things we're supposed to do, the psalmist says, when we come to that table as children, we're to teach other children how to be in the presence of the Lord. How to sit at God's table. And the first thing we have to realize when we come to the table of God, and this is the truth for all of us, is that each one of us has no right to be there except for the fact that God has invited us to be there. You and I have no qualification that says, okay, he's going to be on my guest list. There is no one here where God says she is she is a must on the guest list. I have to have her here. Because of something that you have done or something that you have accomplished. You have been invited to the table of God simply because God loves you. He's created you in his image. And he wants you to be in relationship and fellowship with him. And so he invites you to the table. And you know what the scripture tells us in Ephesians chapter 1 and Galatians chapter 4? It says that we have become adopted sons and daughters of God the Father. You see, we had no right to be there. But God invites us in. And he says, no longer are you slaves, no longer are you. Those who are outside of the family of God, you are adopted into the family of God. You have a place at the table. So first and foremost, that should make us think as we come to the table and sit as children before God at the table that that because of His great mercy and invitation to us, we should never think, oh man, I can't believe she's here with us. Or I can't believe he's here with us. You should be saying, I can't believe I'm here That God has invited me here. That I have a place at His table. That He has brought me to sit, to taste and see His goodness. Of course, you know, we all would say we would love to love life and love many days. And the psalmist says this in verse 12. And so we come and sit at God's table and said, sign me up for that one. But the psalmist goes on and teaches what it means to open up to the good of God. And I think that one of the things that that is important for us as followers of Jesus, as people who have come as children to sit at God's table, is that we remember that one of the ways that we experience the goodness of God, that we taste and see the goodness of God, is when we emulate the goodness of God. When we share the goodness of God for others to taste and see. When I think about these words that the psalmist says about how do you sit at the table, you keep your tongues from evil, your lips from speaking deceit. The first thing I think about is the church. Some of the worst gossip I've ever heard is in the church. Some of the worst slander I've ever heard is in the church. There's these uh, guys, they're called the skit guys, you may have heard of them. And they do this uh, shtick, I think it's on YouTube somewhere where it sees them, you see them traveling together, and uh, they're having a conversation. And, and every other word of their conversation is, is bleeped out. Or phrase of the conversation is bleeped out. And it keeps going, keeps going, it sees them traveling through. And then, and then finally, they come to the doors of a church. And they open the doors of the church, and they walk inside, and they're all silent. And then what happens is they reveal their dialogue going on before. It's supposed to be kind of humorous, but it's also kind of sad. The dialogue is not not expletives that you would think. It's actually gossip about people in the church. So we do this out here behind their backs until we get into that space, that holy space. And then we're, we're very careful about what we say. When we come to God's table, we have to keep our lips from deceit, from lying tongues, from speaking ways that will undermine others i don 't know if you across you seem like a really healthy community. you seem like you have um, great connection I, I think I think it was Irene that may have said something about the the, the way of the word centered kind of reconciliation and and so you are you 're a, a group of people that. That tries to confront those issues that divide you, and you try to reconcile with one another. And so, I I would imagine there there is no gossip or, or slander or back talk or or any kind of behind the back stuff here. This is just so I'm probably preaching to people who actually you don't need this. It's like okay, but if you're like me, so if some of you are actually would confess you know deep within your heart that that you're like Scott Bullock, you you'll know that when you get frankly, pissed off at someone in the church, it's really easy to triangulate. It's really easy that one of those siblings around the table to, to start talking smack about that sibling with somebody over here and ganging up on that person over there. It might be subtle. But the psalmist is saying when you come to God's table, when God the Father invites you in, there's to be none of that. We're to go to our brothers and sisters when they have something that we have against them or they have against us, and we're to seek reconciliation. We're to speak with them directly. We're to talk with them, to support them, encourage them, and speak graciously about them in all circumstances. Now, the psalmist also says, refrain from doing evil, do good. But here's the thing, when we sit at God's table as God's children, we can refrain from doing evil, that is, we can, we can not do the bad things that people that are not part of God's table do, but we can also not do the good things that God's people are called to do. We can be religious, we can be dutiful. Hey, I mean, Jesus' parable of the Good Samaritan, hey, Come on, some of those priests, I mean they, they were going to do their duty in the temple. I mean, they, they were doing the right thing, right? I mean, somebody else is gonna take care of the Samaritan on the side of the road. When they decided to say, well, you know, I, I know, I know we're supposed to take care of our parents, honor our father and mother, but I'm gonna actually take this money and, and put it somewhere else and say I can't give it to my parents because I, I gave it to God into the temple. Wait a second. You can, you can do those things that seem to be right and not actually do right. You can refrain from doing evil, but not actually be doing good. You see, doing good is, is, is an active participation. It's engaging in the things of God. You know, pure religion, James says, is to look after widows and orphans in their distress. Pure religion is, to, is to, to reach out to those who are brokenhearted and needy. I, of course, you we are the brokenhearted and needy, but if we're going we're gonna to actually be the people of God who actually taste the goodness of the Lord and see the goodness of the Lord, we're going to do the things of the Lord. So when it comes to the brokenhearted, the crushing spirit, whom the psalmist says God is near, let's get near them. Let's be God's children to them. If God the Father is a God who invites the crushed in spirit and the brokenhearted to sit at his table, then let's sit at the table with the, crush, the crushed in spirit and the brokenhearted, or those who are outside of God's table and outside of God's family who are crushed in spirit and brokenhearted. psalmist says to seek peace and pursue it. Recently, I had the, uh, the opportunity to. Uh, speak on a friend's uh, podcast, and he actually asked me to to speak on uh, the RLC movement. Does anybody know what the RLC movement is? The Red Letter Christian Movement. Okay, so we we know this, but ESV, thank God, does not have red letters in it. But uh, uh, not that it's bad. But you know, the red letters are the words of Jesus. That that uh, back in the turn of the century, there was a publisher who who had read the words of Jesus. This is my my blood. Um, shed for you the new covenant in my blood and he said he said to his his pastor mentor he said hey what if i were to to take that seriously and put all the words of jesus in red so it signify the blood of jesus and so what happened is it he started a trend in publishing and so today a lot of the evangelical world you know we love our red-letter Bibles because it has the red letters of Jesus in there. Part of it was in the old, old King James. You didn't really have the division as far as the, I mean, the the quotation marks. You never knew who was saying what. You never knew what the context was. So it was also a way to delineate, you know, okay, what's the context of which Jesus' words are couched? And so that kind of highlighted it. But this red-letter Christian movement is a group of people that was started by Jim Wallace and Tony Campolo, and uh, to a lesser extent by Shane Claiborne, um, Simple Way in Philadelphia. And they're not saying that the only thing that we should follow is, is Jesus' words, because Jesus' words are all in context, right? And Jesus is a product of, of the Old Testament and the people of Israel and God's plan. But what they are saying, which really strikes me, is that we're to follow Jesus' words seriously, and when he says, blessed are the peacemakers, we don't just say, oh, yeah, 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 that's, that's cool. That's great. But we're to be peacemakers. Man, I, I loved uh, the, uh, was it, is it Billy? Is Billy here? Is it Billy? Billy's, where's Billy? Not here. Okay, he's, he's not here. He didn't want to hear. He didn't want to come tonight. So he had, he had said, he said, he had that shirt that said, um, make kimchi, not war. I love that. So that blessed are the kimchi makers i mean that's that's that 's awesome I love, I love that that sentiment you, you and I when we sit at god 's table, we are to be peacemakers to to bring bring a space for people who are far from God, who are warring with one another to a place where they can actually sit at god 's table and experience his goodness by tasting it and seeing it and so that red letter Christian movement is all about kind of focusing on that call of jesus to to really be Serious about the call of Jesus. The psalmist in- invites us to, to, to see what it's like that God is a God who watches us with His eyes and His ears. He keeps His focus on us. And, and when we think about those at the table with us, we're to do the same thing. To be attentive to their needs. Now, I, I want to talk about a couple things as we sit at the table that can be a danger for us. Number one is that we can sit at the table with, again, as I said at the very beginning, with those people that we really like. And we can ignore the people that we don't like. And that's a danger right there because we can ignore some of God's children. We can ignore fellowship with certain people. We could say, you know what? You don't believe the same things I do about, about this household of God. You don't, you don't follow some of the same routines that I do. Um, so I'm just not going to have fellowship with you. Or I just don't like you. When we sit at God's table, he's the one that's called. He's the father who's invited all of us and summoned us all to sit there. And so we should do everything we can to get to know and to love and to care for those other children at the table with us, irregardless if there's something that irks us about them. The second danger I think we have when we sit at the table as children, when we are to teach one another, encourage one another about who God is, that's the primary thing. But sometimes we're there just to simply feed ourselves. Like I said, my kids sometimes come there and they just want to feed themselves and get out of there. They don't want to be with us and they don't want to think about feeding others. There are a lot of churches. This is where I'm gonna get preachy, okay? So there are a lot of churches in the United States of America. Which are about feeding themselves. They're about come to us, we got we got the goods, we got the we got the meal that is the best meal around, and and we'll feed you. And we'll feed ourselves. And and sometimes churches like that, and it's it's churches throughout the centuries, it's not just the church in America, but I think the church in America really has been guilty of this, is that we have created these. Fast food chains of church. That you come and we make it your way. You get what you want. And uh, we feed ourselves. And it's usually a lot of like non-nutritious stuff. And then we don't expect anything from anyone because you've consumed. I mean, we, we've put you a menu here and you've come in and you've consumed the things that we offer. And then, and then we just get out. And we don't think anything more about it. When God calls us to come sit at His table, He actually calls us to come and taste and see His goodness, the fare that He's put on the table. But you know what He calls us to do? He calls us then to go and take that goodness that He has given to us, that provision He's given to us, and to give it to others. Not to hoard it for ourselves. Not to keep it for our own benefit. You know, I came into a church eight years ago that had started with a great heart for mission. Um, it had began in 1975 with, first and foremost, a commitment to give a 50 cents on every dollar to global mission engagement. Awesome. Now, I had come from a church like that in Illinois, a uh, college church in Wheaton. They, they were a independent congregational church that had from their very inception said you know we believe in god's god's global call to to bring the gospel to all the nations or to make disciples of all the nations and so every dollar that we get in we're going to get 50 cents towards global engagement and sending people to live on mission to be on mission well ipc irvine Presbyterian church started off that way they started off that way, but they started off that way by in theory only, because um, they said, "Let's let's let's get to that." So let's start off maybe a little more uh, conservative with uh, ten cents on the dollar, and then every year let's let's increase uh, one penny on the dollar. So that's a long time, you know, to increase to that place but you know you you would you would think if you start at 10 cents you know you're going to have another that's gonna be a long time 40 40 years before you actually get up to that that place but you're giving 50 cents to the dollar well what happened with Irvine Presbyterian Church is they got caught up in in becoming a uh kind of a, a restaurant with a menu with programs and and opportunities for people on the campus and, and building buildings. They got caught up in what every church gets caught up, unfortunately, is the attendance, the buildings, and the cash. Or every traditional church. And so, after about 10 years, we it gotten up to 20% giving to mission. They said, you know what? You know, we're, we're, really, we're really strapped. We just built this new worship center. We... Um, we have plans to, to build an office building for our staff, and, and we actually want to hire some more staff. You know, we're we really just going to have to arrest this mission thing. We just can't give another percentage this next year. In fact, we, we really should be thinking about going back to 10%. You know, the whole 50% is just, it's just completely like, you know, it's, it's, just, it's just pie in the sky. And what happened over time is Irvine Presbyterian Church became focused in on feeding itself, on feeding those that were at the table there with Irvine Presbyterian Church. Now I'm not dissing the church. I love the community. I love the people. But I came into a community that was at a place in their stage of growth that was not actually growing. It was it was atrophying. It was going down on the curve. Part of the reason I think it was doing that is because it was now in a place where it 's trying to preserve itself, its body, its institution, and had been become less about others and more about itself. When I first came into the church, I kid you not we take one of these tables back there that uh, taco 's at, probably even twice as big as one of those tables they had a, they had a model that had been built by some architectural firm of the future campus of Irvine Presbyterian Church. So when I came they had the worship center, they also had the office building for the staff, but they had they had their sites on a new education building, a chapel, a gym, and an outdoor amphitheater. I'm like, wait a second. Wait a second. Is that what God has called us to do? Is is that the best way to be at the table and to eat of his food and to provision others? So I said to the community when I got there, I said, can we take that model which was prominently fixed in a place where everyone coming onto the campus could see it? I said, can we take that model? Can we take it down in in the basement, in the bowels of the church? Put it away in the large storeroom that the church had where they kept all their junk and their old VBS stuff and put it up on a shelf, lock the door, and don't tell anyone it's there. Because we need to become a community of faith that is focused not on building ourselves, but on releasing our people to take the provision that God has given them the sustenance He's given them at the table that they fed at, and to take that food to others who have not yet experienced the goodness of God. You see, when we sit at the table of God, that danger is, is, to, is to be focused in on ourselves and in our, in our own physical, spiritual sustenance and our own needs being met. I have a friend named Matt Matt Swida used to be part of an organization called Apartment Life, and Apartment Life, some of you may be familiar with it, but it's essentially a missions organization, nonprofit organization that, that, uh, that puts missionaries, and you, you can figure this out, in apartments across the country. Usually couples who will live in an apartment and take that apartment as their mission call, to be the pastors, the everyday missionary disciples of that apartment. Well, Matt left apartment life recently, and he started an organization called Fiducia, which is faith and work and action. And he's working with the Southern Baptists. He's working with the YMCA. He's working with a number of different churches to try to, to ask the question, how do we deploy the people of God, everyday people of God, not just the pastors, the pastors, but the people of God who are part of God's church to be disciples who are on mission everywhere they live, in their neighborhoods, in the gyms they are part of, everywhere they work, in their associations, in their offices, in their clinics, everywhere they play, on the fields that their kids are on, on the in the activities, the basketball rec league that they're part of, for men over 40 who are overweight and and whose bones don't work very well. To ask the question, how do we deploy the church to take the table fare of God that it is tasted and seen and to share it in every aspect of life? In every place where there is hunger in every place where there is thirst, because the reality is is that is that the church has become this place where' it's this, it's the it's the inner social club, the kind of members only place it's the country club, and so you know you, you you're not invited you're not supposed to be there, and how do we then say? that model doesn't work. And inviting people to come become members of our country club, that doesn't work either because we live in a post-Christian era, guys. You know, the United States is just behind Europe here. We're not that far behind. We don't live in a place that that has a a real rootedness in an understanding of who God is or what the scripture is. I have friends right now who are in their community The husband is doing an inductive Bible study with 15 junior high boys who are part of the Pop Warner football program that his son is part of. And none of these boys know anything about the church, about Christ, about Christianity. One of the first questions, and they're doing this inductive Bible study, and they're talking about the concept of sin. My friend Jeff says that one of the boys says, well, what's sin? What's sin? You see, the world that we live in doesn't have that Christian language that we have. It doesn't understand that. This same friend, Jeff, his wife, April, she's actually invited about 20 women in the neighborhood around them to come in for an inductive Bible study. And women are coming to Jesus. She's not inviting them to come to church. She's not inviting them to come hear her pastor or to hear uh, a great speaker. But she's coming to them and saying, I'm in your neighborhood. I'm a mom like you are. I have kids and issues that, that you have. And I struggle with some of the same things. But, but I've been to the table of the Lord. And I've eaten His goodness. I've tasted and I've seen. And now I want to bring that to you. I want you to experience that. So friends, my question for you, for for us, is how do we come to the table now tonight that we sit there as as a Crossway community in the next 10 years? In the next year, how do we sit at God's table and make sure that we sit in such a posture that we're learners of the goodness of God, but we're also trying to love and care for those who sit with us who are fellow children, heirs of God's promises to us, encouraging them not doing anything that will get in the way of them helping them feed at the table but how are we also welcoming others to that table and also realizing that people are not going to come to that table there are going to be plenty of people who actually we need to take the meal on the go in those places where we live learn work and play i think that for you guys it's not any different than any other church in the United States of America right now. We are all struggling to know what it means to bring that goodness of the Lord to those around us. They're not going to come to us. They're not going to come hear our pastors. I mean, some will. I'm sure Pastor Paul is, like, is awesome. yeah. But it was true for me, too. They're not going to come hear me. When I was in, uh, in New Jersey, I had an older pastor friend of mine say, at our church, this Presbyterian Church, we just need to start a contemporary service. And then people come to the table of God and experience the goodness of God. And I said, you know what, Jonathan? My neighbor, Will, he is not a church-going kind of guy. You can create a contemporary worship service that has awesome music, but it's not going to be as awesome of going, going into Philadelphia and hearing a concert. Will is not going to come for the music. He's going to come to the table of Jesus because I bring the table of Jesus to him. You see, Jesus, when he called his disciples, he didn't say to them, okay, let's, let's start the most kick-butt synagogue in Capernaum. And let's have the most awesome rocking worship service with, like, the greatest music and the greatest lights. And we're going like, to do the whole fish and loaves thing every week and just wow people. You know what he does? Luke 10. He sends out 72, two by two. He's equipped them. He's mobilized them and he sends them to go and to bring the table of the Lord, the goodness of the Lord, out from city to city. My hope and prayer is that Crossway—I I know you're doing that already—but my hope and prayer is that you continue to think about what that looks like to do that, because every single one of you in here represents a lot of different spheres of life. I've talked to some of you. I mean, I—you I, know—it's that, that general question you ask somebody. You know, what do you do for a living? I love asking that question because when I when I ask that question, what I'm thinking about when I meet my friend over here, Chang, right, uh, who who is a dermatologist working for Kaiser Riverside, I think, oh my gosh. Look at that circle of influence. Look at that place that God has placed him. When I think about my friend, Doran over here, who works for the city of Lakewood, I think, oh my gosh, with a bunch of civil engineers and a bunch of other engineers, like, what an opportunity. You know, I, Pastor Paul and I don't have that opportunity. I'm not a civil engineer. I, I'm, not a, I'm not a physician, a dermatologist. i do not don't. I'm not a surgeon. But you guys are. And then I hear so many of your other stories. You have these circles of influence where God has placed you and put you, where you can take the table of the Lord so that others can taste and see the goodness of the Lord in that context. But do you see yourselves as everyday missionary disciples who are taking the table of the Lord in a to-go bag to the people where you live, learn, work, and play, friends. I'm going to keep repeating that because I think this is what the psalmist is wanting us to think about. It's teaching other children to sit at God's table and it's bringing the goodness of God to others and proclaiming the goodness of God to others. And I think that God's calling you to be that kind of church. I think you are that kind of church, but it's just a reminder to take that goodness to the table as children of the Father who have... Then adopted as sons and daughters of the king Be for one another love one another reconcile with one another get to know the people at the table that you wouldn't normally want to get to know but God wants you to get to know them and then take that good food that he has given you to taste and see in a to-go bag to the places where you live, learn, work and play to the circle of influence in your life whether it's your neighborhood or it's your work Or it's your school that you teach in. Or it's a group of buddies that you ride with, cycle with every weekend. And show them the goodness of the Lord through your life, through your call. Would you please pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for its encouragement to us. And I thank you, God, that that you have called us to sit as children at your table. Lord, you've called us to focus on you, to learn from you, to learn your ways, and to learn from the other children at your table and to teach the other children at your table about your goodness. And Lord, you've called us to take your goodness that you've given to us, your provision, and take it on the road to wherever you have placed us, the gathered and scattered church and body of Christ. And may we be that as a Crossway community, as people of God. In Jesus' name, amen.